Amen. You know, 2020's been a wonderful year to be alive, hasn't it? I mean, it's just been one of those years that you're just like, you know what, I'm just living my best life now. It's like everything seems to be going really well. And uh, it's, it's been a good year. But here's, here's the thing. We're, we're living in times. There is like, uh, there's, there's turmoil. If you, if, you, if you watch the news, I was talking to somebody earlier and I was like, you know, if you watch the news, it feels like the world is legitimately ending. But if you turn off the news and you just hang out with your friends for a while, it's like, you know what, life's pretty good. So it's like, it's like you got this one aspect of life that it seems like everything is going well and then this is other global aspect of life where it seems like things are going nuts. But I can tell you something, folks, that we have to understand is that we're living in times of great tension and we're living in times of spiritual warfare. From a biblical worldview, the Bible teaches us, the apostles teach us, that Jesus always taught us that we have a common enemy and it's not flesh and blood, that we're legitimately not wrestling against flesh and blood, but we have a war that is against principalities against powers, against the rulers of this dark age and against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. That our enemy is an unseen enemy that is at work. And listen, our enemy is at work in a lot of different ways trying to slowly pull us and push us into different ideologies that will be against the ways of God, that will be against who God is telling you to be and ultimately trying to get you to adopt ideologies that are antithetical to the kingdom of God. And we are at war in that right now, folks. Even in a small town like Clay County, there are enemies that we have that we're not just warring against on a personal level, but we are warring against on a global level. Now, I want to preach, I want to begin a sermon series, and I wanted to stay away from the idea of politics, but when I honestly thought about it, I, I thought about this particular verse in 1 John 5, 19. It says, we know that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. What he's saying is there is a, there's a pressure, there's an influence that is pulling. And so I want to preach a sermon series called Under the Sway on the topic of spiritual warfare. But even when we think about spiritual warfare, one thing I've never really preached on much is politics. Somebody amen me, right? You're like, thank God you didn't, Clay. I ain't trying to hear all that. But I want to get into it, and, and it's going to be a difficult message, I think, for me to get through. But the Lord is going to help me because I just want to make sense of what's going on as far as... Because here's what I believe. Politics are important. I, I believe that they are. I don't believe that they're the most important, but I believe that they are important because ultimately God gave human beings dominion and authority to govern the earth and to, and, and to make it set up for human flourishing and following the ways of God. The problem is, is that politics, it, 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 it encompasses all kinds of different ideologies because man is fallen and man has adopted different mindsets than God would have us to adopt. And therefore, when we rule and when we govern... Sometimes we make very destructive choices and decisions as leaders. And all of a sudden we see a world under the sway of the wicked one in very subtle ways. And see, the enemy, he's going to try to get you caught up in all sorts of different things and thoughts and ideas. But one of the things that I believe he uses, especially in our world today, is he uses politics to get us caught up in the sway, to get our mind off of Jesus Christ and off of the kingdom of God and begin to move us in a direction away from the Lord. So let me give you this first point. American politics must not influence our Christianity, but Christ will influence our politics. American politics should not infiltrate your Christian life to the point where you start adopting mindsets based on what some political pundit says on the news rather than what the Word of God says. Amen. 
But on the other hand, I should come and I should be in the Word of God. I should be in prayer. I should be in fellowship with believers. I should be receiving sound doctrine on a weekly basis and understanding what the Scripture says. And I should be applying what Christ teaches to my politics so that it plays out in the world and we learn how to govern and we learn how to influence properly so that the world begins to look more like Christ as much as it possibly can. More like the kingdom of God as much as it possibly can. Now we know, we know that ultimately this place ain't going to look like the kingdom of God until the king comes back. Amen. But we do have a responsibility as Christian people to occupy until he returns to make it look like heaven as much as we have ability to do so. And that is the, the, the responsibility that God has given us. Now for me personally, I don't much care for politics. I grew up around politics. My dad back there, he was the chairman of the Republican Party of the 5th District for 15 years. I remember being a little boy and Bob Dole was running against, uh, against uh, Bill Clinton, son, and, uh, and we went out to Bowling Green. Dad opened for him in Bowling Green. He opened for him in uh, Louisville, I believe it was. And I remember Dad getting up and giving a speech, man. Thousands of people coming out pulling for Bob Dole to win, you know. Of course, of course he got beat, but listen, my point being is I grew up in politics. Like, I know about, we got elephants in the house, you know what I'm talking about? We're just like... But there, can't, there comes a point, there comes a point when even you have to understand, because even if you would agree, and it's funny, I'll get into it later, but more and more Christians, are, are you find Christians on both sides of the aisle, just adopting, dividing viewpoints. And it's, it's, becoming, very, it's becoming very confusing for me. It's becoming a challenge for me to differentiate. But even if you have a conversation with my dad, I talked to him about it yesterday, but because dad went through a thing, man, his whole life was politics. He, he would run, he would get involved with political leaders and stuff like that and help them out. And while they held many of the same values, and we believe that even maybe some of those same values were probably Christian values, there are points in their agendas behind politics that often misrepresent the kingdom even when they're trying to do their best. And there are people that have agendas that they may even say, hey, we're for this or we're for that. But deep down on the inside, behind the scenes, if you're not careful, you'll catch yourself getting caught up in something that is an attitude that is opposite of the kingdom. And see, God had to work something in my dad. And he'd even tell you the story that ultimately God began to pull him out of politics because it was doing something to him that was moving him away from the heart of God. Amen. So one, we got to be, you can't just be totally disengaged from politics, but you have to understand how to deal with them properly. Now, the question is, do, do we follow Jesus or do we follow a political party? Do we follow Jesus or do we follow a political party? Now, I know, like, here's, here's what I get. I, told, I talked to somebody earlier. I said, you know what? I could probably guess 99. Now, we're dealing with a certain church over here in southeastern Kentucky and Clay County. 99% of you, I know who y'all are voting for. You know what I'm talking about? I know, I know what your values are. I just know my people. But I deal with a lot of different people that may or may not be from here or even some that are from here. And what I see is that in the Christian realm, I'm seeing people move further to the left and they're slowly adopting ideologies that, that, that are actually antithetical to the kingdom. And it kind of, it kind of frightens me about the, some of the mindsets that they're adopting. On the other hand, I see Christians that are moving so far to the right that they're beginning to idolize political candidates and they begin to equate being a Republican with being a Christian. And so my point being is you can be going in the wrong direction on either side that you go. Because if you're moving away from the kingdom of God, you're moving in the wrong direction. No matter how much some party holds your values, at the end of the day, there is no political party that fully represents Christ and the kingdom of God. 
So, so how, do we, how do we wrestle with these things? How do we deal with these things? I, remember, I went to a pastor's conference down in Louisiana, and I, I actually bunked with a guy. We had the same room for three days, and I'm going back in November to hang out with him again. And he lit, he's a pastor who lives on the border of Texas and Mexico. And I said, boys, I got some opportunities here to ask some political questions. I just got to see. I mean, that's the way I am. Like, if this person's got an opinion, I got to see. I got to test it out and see. Because I just want to have conversation with people. I want to know where people come from. I want to know up here in Kentucky if the way we feel about things is the same way they feel about it on the Mexican border. You know what I'm saying? So I said, hey, man, won't you, let's talk about Trump and his wall. How do you feel about it? And he looked at me and he smiled real big. And this is a Mexican-American man who pastors on the border. Half of his church are Spanish-speaking people who cannot even speak English. And you got people coming across the border. you got all kinds of these things going on. He said, Clay, it's just not that easy. He said, there are people coming across the border that are dangerous, that are bringing in drugs and violence. And he said, you need to try to keep those people out. But he said, there are so many people that need help and need safety and need to find refuge. He said, it's not a yes or no answer. He said, these things are much deeper than what we fully understand. And I'm telling you, most issues, now not all issues, some, some issues are very cut and dry. But a lot of issues are very divisive, and honestly, there's not necessarily a good answer on either side. There's things that we need to do that we don't fully understand, but some, they can divide us until the point where we get angry at people, we hate people, we divide with people, we talk bad about people, we tear people down. And honestly, we've never even talked to somebody that's actually dealing with the situation firsthand. We're just hollering at them from outside of the ring. You know what I'm talking about? And so he's saying we got to get into this place where we can actually engage with people, see where they come from, and understand people's viewpoints. Now here's something that Jesus told his disciples, and I think it's good for us. And in Mark 8, 15, he charged his disciples saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now I believe that the leaven of Pharisees is a religious ideology. Now, if you want my personal opinion, in Clay County in southeastern Kentucky, we don't divide over politics near as much as we divide over religion. That's just the truth. I get you in the same room, I'd probably get y'all to say the same thing politically and agree with it politically and cheer on. And I could say things in here you probably you'd cheer about. But if I got into Baptist, Pentecostal, once saved, always saved, son, yeah, there's like trigger words. You know what I'm talking about? People start freaking out. I mean, and it's just like, but because we are so divisive over this. And here's what he's saying. He's saying you've got to beware of that leaven that infiltrates the mind where you're more interested in external doctrines and, and all of these things. He said, you know, Jesus talked about doctrine. Doctrine is very important. But he's saying y'all get so divisive in your doctrines that you're holding to one thing. You have an external knowledge of God, but your heart is not with God. And you care more about looking down on people because they believe differently than you than you do reaching them with the love of God. This was the religious spirit that was at work. And folks, we have got to resist the leaven of that religious spirit that infiltrates our hearts on a weekly basis. Amen. But he said, don't just be aware of that leaven. He said, beware of the leaven of Herod. And the leaven of Herod was a political spirit. And this was a spirit where people begin to believe that they could actually make change through coercion and power and political moves that would ultimately benefit the kingdom of God. Now, throughout history, when people have done this, it actually ended up pretty poorly. I believe, I believe that God can work in government. I believe that God does work in government. I believe that God raises up leaders and people who get elected to offices who can make good and positive change. But when you look simply to make moves for God only through political means, you are missing the unseen kingdom of God. 
You're missing the unseen kingdom of God. There's something that's far deeper than just politics. And see, what scares me is that what happens is Christians actually believe that electing somebody is more powerful than their prayer life. Somebody? They believe that getting somebody elected is more powerful than their prayers for somebody because they're slipping out of the spiritual realm and they're beginning to believe that the weapons of their warfare are actually carnal. They are actually natural. They are actually political, and Jesus is saying, boys, y'all need to be careful to not get caught up in the leaven of the political spirit of the, of the leaven of Herod and think that that's the way that we should get into it and try to control people rather than love people. Both of those spirits create an us and them mentality. Let me run through just a few things real quick, this quick list right quick that I put down together. I had like 15. Would you put that up, that next list? Oh, the religious and the political spirit. I had like 15. I had to cut it way down, y'all, because y'all know if I want to, I'd preach three hours right now. I got problems. But the religious and the political spirit, if you can see that, let me just run through these really quickly. Both of them, they make people fear those that they can't control. Christians do not seek to control people. They seek to influence people through self-sacrificial love. It causes people to assign motives to people they don't know. They're people you don't even know and you've already judged them, son just because they are part of a party or not. It leads people to demonize those with whom they disagree. It persuades people to spiritualize the demeaning of people of, of different persuasions. In other words, we actually adopt mentalities and we talk terrible about people and we think it's virtuous. Somebody amen me. And then it says it convinces people to assign the blame for all the problems of society to one group of people. Man, if it, if it wasn't for them Baptists, we'd have a move of God in this county. I mean, I'll just use that as an excuse, right? As one, one little point. But it causes people to redefine dishonoring attitudes as virtuous attributes, and people under its influence hunt in, pack, in packs to, so that they can feed off the self righteousness of others. In other words, I like to get around people who are like me, and we can just sit and blame the whole world for all the problems and never look at the real problem, which is my own personal sin. Man, it's easy to blame somebody else and blame all the problems of the world on somebody else. But see, the Bible teaches that our real problem is our own personal sin. And we need to deal with that and pull the plank that is in our own eye before we pull the speck out of another person's eye. But see, Jesus says, don't, don't deal with the political leaven. Don't deal <clears throat> with the religious leaven and the religious spirit. But he says, you need kingdom leaven. Jesus said, I am the kingdom of God. I am in your midst. If you want to know what the kingdom of God is like, you look to Jesus. He's what the kingdom is. And he lived his life loving people from all backgrounds, all shapes and sizes, loving them and ultimately dying on the cross for their sins. So what does the kingdom look like? The kingdom looks like self-giving, self-sacrificial love. In Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, it says this. Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, Be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us. So we are to love as Christ loved us on Calvary. And that is to be our premier political viewpoint. We are to love and lay down our lives for all shapes, sizes, forms of people. And even when people disagree with us, and look, I'm going to get into it because we ought to take a stand for certain, for certain values. We ought to as Christian people. But no matter what people are, no matter what background they come from, we should be willing to self-sacrificially love them in such a way that it leads them into the kingdom. 
And that gets very difficult because the political spirit and the religious spirit would like you to become more holy and more righteous than those groups of people and look down and reject them outright and never find a way to bridge the gap to where you can begin to bring them into the kingdom of God. But see, here's the question that I would ask you on a spiritual level. Is Christ divided? Now, like I said, if I'm talking to this church, I probably know where 99% of you stand politically. I probably do just by guessing. I may be wrong. I don't know. And some of you, for the most part, you just don't even care. Some of you may amen me. It's just like, Clay, I, have no, I don't even care. I probably won't even vote in this thing. Like some people are like that. And we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that as a Christian. Is it okay to just totally just disregard it and look the other way and not even care about it? We're going to get into that a little bit. But is Christ divided? I kid you not, I went down to, I went to a seminary. And in the this, in this seminary that I went to, I still follow my professors. They're pastors of churches. They're leaders. They live in the same city. And they get on Facebook, son, and they go at it with one another. One of them, son, is an anti-Trumper, never Trumper. He's the Antichrist. And they've got, son, they've got proof in Scripture to prove it. The other guy, he's all, he's all for Trump. He's whole, and I'm thinking, both of y'all are Christian people. How is it that you're so divided on this issue? How, how can it be that we're so divided on this issue and ultimately we'll, go, we'll, we'll start raging against people? And I know, I know some people will say, look, look, I, I know y'all are going to not, not hardly believe this, but I've had Christian people. <clears throat> on one side, they'll say, and maybe many of you would agree with this, I just don't see how you can be a Christian and vote Democrat. Y'all ever heard anybody say that? Yeah, I've heard people say that. On the other side, I've had people legitimately come to me and say, Clay, I just don't understand why Christians always vote Republican. And y'all are probably shocked by that. And I'm listening to both sides. I'm thinking, we got to find a better way. There's got to be something higher. And we got to ask ourselves, why are you choosing to vote the way that you vote? Like, what, what makes you think that these represent Christ's values on one side or the other? Let's, let's discuss without yelling and hollering about each other. What do we really value and what is important? Because right now, nothing is as divisive as politics. But Jesus prayed that his church would be one. And in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter, verse 10 through 13, here's what it says. It says, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and and that there be no divisions among you. Now, here's what I want you to understand, is that there are people in here right now under the sound of my voice, if you got into our theology and dug in deep, we would probably have different ideas, different concepts, maybe even slightly different views. But do you know that many of these views are so secondary that ultimately, we, we, if we're mature Christians, we can set them aside to go after the main goal. We can set them aside to go after the main goal. Let me, I, w- I want to read something to you. Put this quote up. There's a quote by Richard Lovelace. I want to read this to you. Here's what he said. He said, demonic agents, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual warfare and how he works in the religious spirit, how he works in the political spirit. It says, demonic agents italicize the defects of Christians and the churches in the minds of unbelievers and cause true Christianity to be branded with the image of its own worst exemplars or to be totally confused with counterfeit religions. In other words, basically, everybody just looks at the Christian church and says, well, they're all like Donald Trump. Or everybody, or somebody will look. I saw yesterday, you know, they were, they were bringing in Amy Coney Barrett, who is a professed Christian. She's a charismatic Catholic, a believer in God, a believer in the kingdom. She made this statement. She said, you know what, my judicial position, she said it's not just an end in itself. She said it's a means to an end. And she said the means to this end is the kingdom of God. That's the ultimate end. I said, well, I like that. I'm, I'm for that. If that sounds pretty good. I mean, if you're for the kingdom of God, I know a lot of people that are totally against the kingdom of God. 
So if you're for that, but what people do is they, they, they begin to make a caricature and they, they go out and they, they dress up like the handmaiden's tail and march on Washington against her and all, all these different things. But what are they trying to do? They want to paint the entire church as the worst. Po- they look at all the worst possible situations of Christians and say that's what Christians are. That's what Christians are like. And they'll do that. Now here's what it says. They are also particularly active in dividing Christians from one another into parties. Listen to that. Subtly reinforcing stereotypes in the minds of believers who are not on guard against this, magnifying weaknesses and minimizing virtues to produce divisive caricatures. Unless this strategy is correctly discerned, Christians can waste a great deal of time buffeting one another in the dark instead of combining forces to face their common enemy. And the point is, is that Satan is at work to divide us, to dislike one another's viewpoints, to argue with one another, rather than saying, you know what, we're united in this thing for Christ. And we can unite because we have a common enemy, and that is the powers of darkness. And we've got to bring it together and lay aside our religious and our political differences and say, you know what, ultimately we're coming together under the Word of God, we're coming together in Christ, and we are facing a common enemy, and that is the enemy that we are going against. And that's what we have to do. He says, let there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly joined together in the same mind and same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, that, of, that, that those of Chloe's household, that the, there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? See, it was personality-led division. Personality-led division. I'm following this dude. I'm following this dude. Ultimately, we got one dude to follow. I'm going to endorse a candidate right quick. Let me tell you what his name is. Jesus Christ. We've got one man as Christians that we are to follow. Now, there are going to be some guys. I'm going to vote here in just a couple of weeks if I don't vote earlier. And there are going to be some guys that get my vote. But there's only one person who gets my allegiance. And his name is Jesus Christ. I love America, I love America, but America is liable to go wayward. And if it does, my allegiance is not with America. My allegiance is with Jesus Christ. Amen. And this is where we have to stand. We want what's best for America. We are patriots. We believe that we should fight for the well-being of our nation and of our nation's people as Christians. That's important, but it's not the most important thing. What's more important is that the souls that are lost and don't know Jesus Christ know Jesus Christ. It's not more important for me to convert somebody to a Republican than it is to a follower of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, what you are. My goal is not to persuade you politically. My goal is to preach the gospel to you in such a way that the Holy Spirit convicts you and you repent of your sin and you say, you know what, I'm living for a different kingdom altogether. My citizenship is now in heaven. Somebody amen me, right? Y'all feeling this this morning, right? This is important. This is important. We must learn to think from a higher perspective because the early church thought from a higher perspective, folks. We live in a time... Anybody who thinks America is bad has not studied history. I mean, we have got it made, folks. Even the most oppressed among us are doing far better than many people have done throughout history. And I I don't disagree. There's oppression in America. There's some people who are in a tight spot. There's some bad stuff in any society and even any evil. But if you have not, and we got to get better. America looks nothing like the kingdom of God. 
I love it. I'm glad I live here. But it looks nothing like the kingdom of God. There are evils that are outrageous. We are lovers of money. We are lovers of pleasures. We idolize all kinds of wicked things. But ultimately, we should bless and support our nation as a whole, regardless of who you come from, to say we want God to infiltrate this place and we want it to reflect the image of God and we want to stand up against the evils and say, no, we ain't going to say yes to that. We ain't going to bow down to that. We're going to say we want God to do His work in this place. So we got to think from a higher perspective, a third perspective, because there's no society that's ever been like America where you get a vote, regardless of your color, regardless of your social economic status, regardless of you're a man or a woman. I know early on, you know, women didn't get a vote early on. Slaves and black folks didn't get a vote. But we are moving in a direction where things are getting better in that sense, aren't we? They're getting better. And I believe that we're going to continue to move in that direction. In certain aspects, but there are certain evils, son, that we just overlook altogether. Certain evils that we just overlook, we'd like to bury them, put them under the carpet. But see, we got to think from a higher perspective, from a biblical perspective. Do you understand that the early church had no say in their government? You all get to go vote. You all get to decide if I'm going to put this guy in office or if I'm not. Now, your vote is probably, you can say, well, it doesn't have that much power. My dad told me, and he's kind of ingrained it into me. One time I told him I probably wasn't going to go vote, son, and he gave me a tongue lashing. (laughs) He said, son, that's about the only right you've got left. You better get out and vote, you know. So it's kind of been instilled to me. It's like I got to get out and I got to vote for somebody. I I have to care about who's, who's running stuff. I should care. I should be thoughtful about who's actually in charge of making decisions and, and leading. I've got to think from a higher perspective. But see, we're not coming from one side or the other. I'm not just coming from the left or the right, but I'm coming from the kingdom of God. I'm making my political decisions based on what I believe the Word of God to say. And so if I'm going to do that, then I've got four lenses that I look through personally. I'm going to take you through four lenses that I look through. So the first lens that I look through when it comes to politics is I look at Jesus. I look at Jesus. In Jesus' day, they tried to pull Him one direction or the next. And one thing about Jesus is that you could not pull Jesus into an Have you ever read about Jesus? Like he'd get around the Pharisees, he'd get around the Sadducees. Everywhere he went, they'd try and pull him into an argument. Have you ever noticed that? Trying to pull him into a divisive argument. Trying to get him to pick a side. And at one point in ancient Rome, they would go into Israel and ancient Rome made Israel, who was supposed to be a theocracy under God, they made Israel pay taxes to Rome. Put that coin up there. Let's look at that coin. And so they, they would say, hey, Jesus, do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, this is one of the legitimate coins that was made. And they would have these coins. And it was literally this, this man, Caesar. He professed to be God. He was a false God. He professed to be God. You know what Jesus said? He could have went off and talked about how this man was a false God, etc., etc. But do you also know that when Jesus proclaimed himself to be the Son of God, that the Caesars called themselves the Son of God? In other words, he's saying those dudes are fake. Here's the real deal. Here's the real deal. But he says this. He says, you know what, boys? Don't try to bring me into that. Into that. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God's what is God's. In other words, he says, whose image is on that coin? Caesar's image is on that coin. He says, but whose image is on you? The image of God is on you. 
So you know what? The money, he said, give that money, pay taxes, that's all good. He said, because you're talking about a temporary kingdom. And he was actually shifting their mindset because the Jews believed that they should be set free and under God alone and under no man. And Jesus was shifting their mindset to say, guess what? You're going to be under, you're going to be under this world's governments from here on out. There are going to be leaders that you don't like. There's going to be leaders that are wicked. But he said, ultimately, he says, that's not what we're here for. Our kingdom is an unseen kingdom. And he says, we are not of this world. We're living for another kingdom and we are like leaven and we can spread but ultimately I want you to go out and I want you to learn how to disciple nations have you ever thought about that when he gave the great commission he actually told us to go out and disciple nations I'm thinking Lord it's hard enough for me to disciple a hundred people in Clay County much less disciple a nation But he says our mandate is literally to disciple nations and teach them the ways of God. But see, the political spirit wants to pull you into the debate. And Jesus says, look, man, Caesar's image is on that coin. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's because you are God's. Literally, one of Jesus' temptations in the desert from Satan when Satan was trying to pull him and bring him up under the sway. He said, look, Jesus, I know what you want to do. You want to become king of this world? He said, I can get you quicker. He said, if you go God's way, you're going to have to go the way of the cross and self-sacrificial love. But if you but bow down and worship me, he said, I'll set you up. I'll make you president of the United States. And not only that, I'll make you president of the entire world. Jesus was not interested in an earthly political position. He could, <clears throat> if, you'd have been, if you'd have been God, what would you have done? I'd have just come down and set it up and said, boys, I'm king. You say anything, I will vaporize you. I mean, I made the earth. The reason you breathe, I made your lungs. I will vaporize you. But God was trying to get us to learn a different mindset. The kingdom mindset. That we don't influence by coercion and power and violence, but we influence through self-sacrificial love. The most powerful thing that ever happened in the history of time looked like the weakest thing that ever happened in the history of time. And it was self-sacrificial, self-giving love when Jesus died on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He could have wiped them, everyone out, but yet he died for them. And see, that is, that is the kingdom mentality that he's trying to bring people into. And see, he says, I'm not going to bow down and worship you, Satan, because that kingdom is the wrong kingdom. That's the wrong mindset. That's a political mindset. That's the wrong way of going about moving people and bringing power. He was trying to bring them into his kingdom worldview. Now, Jesus was surrounded by many styles of political views. If we're looking at Jesus through the... Like in, in Jesus' day, he lived in a very political time. The first, the political styles of Jesus' day, people that he were around, the first group was the Pharisees. They were all about law, son. They wanted everybody to stick to the Jewish law. I mean, you couldn't like take so many steps on, 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 a, on a holiday if you ate corn. You know, if you went out into the fields and picked corn, it's a, ba- it a bad day. If it was on the Sabbath, like they were following the law to a T. Really, they were our modern day conservatives. The Sadducees, on the other hand, they're kind of our modern-day liberals. These guys wanted to sort of nuzzle up to the government powers, and they represented the priesthood, but they were also in league with Rome because they wanted political power. They had tons of money, and they were able to make influence behind the scenes. Ultimately, they were the ones who made the largest influence to get Rome to crucify Jesus. Thirdly were the Essenes. Now these were groups of people, they just said, you know what, forget this. I'm just going to detach from all society. That's like John the Baptist. Y'all ever want to do that? Sometimes I, if I was one of these back in the days, I would have been one of the Essenes. You'd have caught me out in the desert eating locusts and honey, son, and half naked. Like it, it, it just been like, it just been like, no, nah, I ain't getting in all that. I just want to detach. I just want to detach. 
from all this goofiness. It makes you want to turn everything off. Those were those guys. They just want to turn off the TV. They don't want to watch it. And then number four, you got zealots. And these zealots were always trying to start an insurrection, trying to rile people up, trying to cause division, ultimately trying to overthrow the Roman government. And guess what? Jesus had all four of these in his ultimate, like in his base crew. He had Pharisees in his crew. He had tax collectors in his crew. He had prostitutes in his crew. He had Judas Iscariot who was a known zealot. All these guys. In other words, he had Republicans, he had Democrats, he had Marxists. Like he had them all. Because the point about Jesus was is he didn't care about your background. He didn't care if he was a socialist, a communist, a Marxist, an alt-right. He didn't care what you were. Ultimately, he was about saving your soul and discipling you into the way of the kingdom. And there's a lot of people in this world who may be a million different things. But you know what? I don't care so much if you've got conservative politics as if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and are following His Scripture and His Word. That's what Jesus was about. He's saying, boys, I know y'all are all into this politics and they were always trying to pull Him one direction or less, trying to get Him in. But He said, no, I'm pretty much stuck on one particular type of way. And that particular type of way is the kingdom of God. See, many people are more interested, honestly, in following an elephant or a donkey than they are in following the Lord Jesus Christ into the kingdom. This is good. I feel good about this message so far. (laughs) I had to encourage myself just for a minute. See, Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But see, he had all these different types of, uh, uh, of people. And when Jesus is resurrected in Acts 1, 6 through 8, he says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're asking him a political question. Will you get this thing in order now? Will you take over? Will you get things back in control? Will you bring our nation back into a time of peace? They're asking him. And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. If you want to ask me my political stance, there are certain people that I'm I'm voting for and I'm hoping they get elected. Guess what? If they don't get elected, I'm going to be all right. I'll just go dust my shoulders off and I'm going to continue to preach the gospel because ultimately that's not the kingdom that I'm looking for. People talking about, well, if this guy gets elected, they're going to burn the cities. If this guy gets elected, there's going to be a lynching. I mean, it's just like a million different things going on. Whoever gets elected, I'm going to stay up and I'm going to watch election night because honestly it releases adrenaline and I enjoy it. And I'm like, this is crazy. Okay? And I'm going to stay up and I'm going to watch. I'm going to eat some tater chips. Like I'm going to have some salsa. It's going to be like it's going to be like watching a ball game. But whoever wins, I might be disappointed if my guy doesn't win. But whoever wins, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be like, hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God because He has all things in control. He's sovereign over all things. He raises one man up. He puts another man down. And I am born into this kingdom for such a time as this. And whatever happens, God has given me a mandate to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to preach the gospel to every living creature regardless of their background or even their ideologies because we believe the Holy Spirit has the power to change the human heart. He has the power to change the human heart and that's what we're going to preach. So secondly, i got to look at somebody and i got to look at the early church. That's my second lens. i got to look at the early church. Now they lived under some horrible leadership, y'all. I know some of y'all, you think we got it bad with our leadership. People hate Trump. People hate Andy. You know, I mean, it's just, oh my gosh, the leadership we're under. Can you believe this? 
You know what kind of leadership they were under in the New Testament church in the, in the A.D. 60? They were under a dude named Nero, bro. And this guy, Nero, would legitimately take Christians and stick them with tar, cover them in tar and hang them on a cross in his garden by the hundreds, set them on fire and light up his garden at night. That's what he did to Christians. They're talking about, they're trying to close the church down. Wait till somebody sets somebody on fire on a cross and wipes tar all over them. It was a bad day for these guys. But here's, here's how they looked at it. See, actually, Rome was burned to the ground in 64 A.D. And notice this. This is very interesting. History says that Emperor Nero falsely accused the Christians of starting the fire and condemned all Christians to death, all Christians to death on the grounds that they were guilty of hatred toward the human race. He wanted all Christians to die, and he charged them with hate crimes. He charged them with hate crimes. I'm telling you, we're, we're heading in a direction where there are going to be moments when you speak the truth in love, when you read certain scriptures, that it's going to be considered a hate crime. That's where the political sway is moving, slowly but surely. Now, we should pray against that. But one thing we should not do is get violent and fight against it. And I'll tell you why. Because how did these Christians relate to Nero? Did they hate him? Did they bash him? What was their overall relationship to Nero even after? Imagine, imagine this guy taking one of your family members out, hanging them on a cross, burning them, setting on fire. Sometimes he would actually put them in a den of lions and let lions maul them to death. And you know, he ended up losing his mind because when he'd set those Christians on fire, a lot of times he would hear them singing hymns as they were burning. Yeah, so he lost his mind. I don't know about you, that'd freak me out too. It's like somehow the Lord took the pain away from them and they're just glorifying God as they move on to the other side. And so, but here's three common denominators we found in the early church and how they dealt with their leadership. Because I don't know who's going to be in control after all this that stuff is said and done. But number one, they honored their leaders. 1 Peter 2.17 says, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family Show proper respect to everyone. I should probably pause there just for a second. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. You know who the emperor was? Peter wrote this to the exiles that were in Rome. You know who the emperor was at the time? Nero. He said, honor that guy that is burning y'all and letting y'all maul and getting y'all mauled by the lions. Actually, Peter was crucified upside down under the same rule. They took Peter, they told him, you and your family are going to renounce your faith in Christ. And he said, no, we ain't. Somebody say amen to me. He didn't fight. He didn't start a riot. He didn't get angry. He said, we ain't rejecting Jesus Christ. And they said, well, you're going to be crucified. And you know what he said? Well, that's fine. I just asked that you would crucify me up, upside down because I'm not worthy to die like my Lord died. And he was crucified upside down. And he died on that cross under the hand of Nero, and he told his people to honor the emperor. He said, there's some things worth standing on, but he said, how are you going to do that with a leader like that? He said, we're going to follow Jesus as our example. Ultimately, we're going to die in self-sacrificial love if we have to. This is why when we overcome the world and we overcome Satan, it says that we, it says that we, what, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, that we never reject faith in Christ, and ultimately that we love our own lives. We don't love our own lives, even unto death, if that's what it comes to. Secondly, they prayed for their leaders. 
And see, every leader that comes into office, here's what I want to ask you, is as a Christian, have you prayed for your leaders? I remember being in a prayer meeting one time, son, and like everybody was praying and, and, and we, were, we were praying for all kinds of different stuff. And like as long as it was good stuff, you know, everybody, like everybody was loud and praying. And then somebody said, we're going to pray for our president, Barack Obama. And son, it got to where you could hear a pin drop. It's like, I'm going to be selective on who I pray for. No, it says to pray for your leaders. Whether he's Democrat, whether he's Republican, whatever he may be, the Scripture says if you disagree with him, you need to pray for him. Because you know something? It's hard to hate somebody and pray for him at the same time. And when you do hate somebody, when somebody's hurts you, when you disagree with somebody, actually probably the most beneficial thing you can, can do for that person is to pray for that person. But see, leaders make decisions that make agreement with the unseen realm. When laws are passed in our state, when laws are passed in our nation, we make agreement with demonic principalities and powers. We basically say we're rejecting God's ways or we're accepting God's ways and we're saying these are law in our land and whether you do, you close the door on the demonic or you open the door on the demonic. And I'm telling you folks, for a long time now, we've been making decisions that have been opening the door for the demonic. And people's mindsets are going further and further down a direction that is further and further away from the truth of God's Word. This is why Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, 1 through 4, he said, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceable, peaceful and quiet lives. Wouldn't everybody just like a peaceful and quiet life? In all godliness and holiness, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, he's saying when we as Christians intercede, it actually pushes back a prevailing atmosphere. And when we intercede for those of our leaders who are in power, it pushes back darkness so that they have the ability to hear from God, to hear from the Holy Spirit in such a way that, see, if we can influence leaders through prayer... They will influence government through the decisions they make for the kingdom of God. He's saying, first of all, you need to be praying for people because when we pray and when we intercede, we can change the spiritual atmosphere which influence how leaders influence society. And maybe in our, in our time right now, in our generation, as far as what we know about politics, we could see the biggest shift that has ever taken place in our history, if I'm being totally honest. So what we need to do is we need to be in prayer more than anything. Amen? Lastly, they refused to worship their leader. In that time, Caesar worship was a big deal. Matter of fact, the reason most Christians were persecuted was because they refused to burn incense to Caesar and to worship him, and they were killed because of it. But let me tell you something. No matter how much of a leader you agree with and his policies or whatever else, he is not God. He is not a Savior. Human beings are always looking for a Savior, and somehow or another we start to believe that if we get the right guy elected, everything will be fixed. I promise you it will not. It ain't going to be fixed until the right guy comes back. His name is Jesus, just so you know. So they refused to worship their leaders. Now let me give you something real quick. There were five traits in the early church, if I look at the early church, that they were most known for. Let me give you these five traits. Number one, they were, they were known for diversity. It was amazing because they were multi-ethnic, they were multicultural, and they were multi-class. They had people of different eth ethnic backgrounds, different skin colors. They had Jews, they had Greeks, they had Romans, and they had rich and they had poor. And when people looked at them, it was so amazing because they brought all people, regardless of their background and who they were, under one name, Jesus Christ. 
They were diverse. Secondly, their, it, their compassion marked them. They, they, they fought for the poor. They fought for widows. They fought for orphans. And they fought for the sick. And they reached out in compassion to those who were broken and hurting and disenfranchised. And all of those things, they reached out to them as much as they possibly could. Now, a lot of people, they say, especially if you're in southeastern Kentucky, one of the things that we actually talk about and argue about is how do you actually help the poor? Do you just throw money at them to enslave them to the government? Or do you actually teach them and make disciples out of them so that they know how to live properly? Right? So then that's a big political issue. But see, they not only gave to the poor, but they discipled people to live a different lifestyle. Thirdly was forgiveness. This really set them apart because they would literally be hung on the cross, be murdered, be put to death, and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do when they were being put to death. Fourthly was adoption. Now this is very interesting because their love for the unborn and children who had been abandoned in that time was astounding to people. In the Roman Empire, what people would do if they didn't want a child is they would take the child and there was a ditch outside of the city where they would literally drop their babies. Now they didn't have abortions the way that we do here uh, now in our time because the medical procedure was not effective. It was dangerous. So they would have the children and if they didn't want the child, they would go drop it in a ditch. And this is well known. You can look it up in history. And what the Christians would actually do is they would wait at the ditch for people to drop those babies off and they would pick them up and take them in and raise them as their own children. And this happened so much and the people of Rome were so demented that they actually started a rumor about Christians that they were cannibals who ate babies. And the reason they started this was because they knew two things about Christians. They knew that if you didn't want a baby, they were going to take it in and they were waiting on it. And they knew that when they met, they talked about eating, eating flesh and drinking blood. Because they were taking communion, right? And so they started a rumor. They said, well, those are cannibals. They eat babies. That was the rumor that went around in Rome. But see, they were champions of people keeping their children in the womb. And they would plead with mothers to not kill their children. They said, we will take them in. We will raise them as our own. And see, the Christian people, man, we're about life on all forms. And we're about that. Now, here's what I want to say. There are a lot of people that are so under the sway of this current world system. That does not mean that we hate and we reject people because of decisions they've made or anything like that. Everybody needs healing. People have made bad decisions. They need to know the salvation of Jesus. They need to find the healing that is in Jesus. We don't blame people for the decisions that, that we make, but we simply call them to repentance and we say there's a better way of life. And we stand for these truths and we say, look, we, we look, I mean, you talk about adoption. There are so many people. Like right now, adoption is about $40,000 if you want to adopt a new born baby and you can have an abortion for about 500 bucks right so you see so you have you have this discrepancy and it's and it's a hard time in our nation because we have to say in a loving way in the most loving way we know how we have to say look we're going to stand on this right here we're going to stand on this issue and we're going to say this is important because we believe lives are important but see the biggest issue with that idea is is another issue that right roots back and it's the fifth thing they had a sexual counterculture now, right now, there's one direction politically that people are heading where anything, in the Roman Empire, anything went sexually. The government in Rome actually, they, they, if you find a lot of leaders, they would have little boys that they would follow around that they would use sexually as their companion, however so they wanted. Man, I'm telling you something. I don't know that our, our nation isn't headed in that direction before long. I watched a, I almost promised, I tried to promise myself I wasn't going to name names, but I watched a clip last night that honestly really, really bothered me. One of the political candidates, and you could probably guess who without me saying his name, but he, he, said, he, he said, talking about transgenderism, he said when an eight-year-old boy or a girl or whatever decides that they want to be transgender, there should be no discrimination. They should receive the medication to make the change. 
And I looked under the, the, the comments, and one, one father said on there, are you kidding me? My eight-year-old my eight boy thinks he's a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> but this is where we are going in our mindset. When it comes to sexual, we live in... Christians, whether you like it, whether you lump it, people online, people in here, whether you like it or lump it, the Bible is very clear on how we live sexually. It's abundantly clear. How we live sexually is we train our children that they're going to have sex with one person. And we train our children that that's the way that there is the human flourishing. And if you live outside of that, you're going outside of God's design and it is legitimately sin. Now, so the way that God has designed it is God designed us male and female. And when people are full grown, they develop a courtship. They're attracted to another person. They fight to maintain sexual purity by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then they choose a spouse. They court them. And then they get married and they consummate marriage with the gift of sex. And they live with that person forever. Now, obviously, you find it's a rare occasion. See, here's the thing. Republicans will even say they'll hold to these, these, these values, but they don't live them. Somebody amen me again right here. Christians don't even live them. And this, so, so, so when, when, this is why we got to be merciful, y'all. This is why we got to be gracious, because most of the values that we hold, we don't even live. Isn't that a shame? It's sad. I get it, though. I understand. Growing up, son, I lived like a wild man. And then when I got saved, though, my life changed. I said, you know what? I'm going to stand for purity. I'm not having sex till I get married. Like I, and I stood my ground on these issues because I believed they were important. I believed they were what God was saying. And see, these were the five things that the early church, they were rooted in, they were grounded in. See, but there was no rules. All of these cultural distinctions, that made, they, these made Christianity the salt of the earth and it made them the light of the world. But see, the church is beginning to move in a different, a different direction where they're saying, well, we're just wanting to include all people. And let me tell you something, we need to include all people. But see, the gospel is offensive because the gospel calls people to repentance. And you can cannot continue to believe in ideologies that are against Scripture and still be a follower of Christ. And that's something that's hard to speak in our world today. Everybody's afraid of losing church members over standing your ground on something. But if the Bible says it, your opinion doesn't matter anymore. There's a lot of things I've read in Scripture. I said, you know, I don't like that. I wish it didn't say that. But it says it, and guess what? My opinion gets thrown out the window because I have to come into alignment with what Scripture says. And I'm sorry I'm taking such a long time, but Lord, children, this right here is important stuff. Would you agree? So number three... I'm almost done. Number three, look at us now. So we looked at Jesus, we looked at the early church, but look at us now. We are divided, we're fighting, we're quarreling, we're wrestling with weird ideologies. I mean, I, I talked to a buddy of mine down there in the... Uh, uh, I had another buddy that was a pastor down in Miami, and he said, you know what, Clay? He said, most of my church, he said, uh, we got blacks, we got Cubans, we got whites, it's just a diverse mix. And he said, he said, I stood up and preached about conservative values, and he said, people called me a racist. He said everything break, broke out with the George Floyd thing. And he said, we actually marched with, with some black folks in our community. And we marched and we said, we're standing up for minorities. He said, my church came out against me and called me a Marxist. And I got to be honest with you, I'm neither a racist nor a Marxist. But I have values about sex that are pure, right? And I'm for black people and minorities too. And so you ain't going to push me back into a corner and say I'm one side or the other. I'm coming from a kingdom perspective. You can't tell me I'm either this or that. 
I'm coming from a biblical worldview and from a kingdom perspective. Don't let politics push you into one, you're just this or you're just that. No, we are multifaceted people of God. We see all of those values and we say amen to them. See, because here's what happens. Put that, put that slide up where I got the colors on them. I forgot to do this. But right here, see, five traits of the early church. Here's what you'd say. The Democrats would say, we stand on the platform of diversity and compassion. The Republicans would say, we stand on the platform of adoption and sexual counterculture. Now, neither platforms would say we stand on, on, the, on the place of forgiveness because they ain't into that. But the truth is, you can't define these five values by Democrat or Republican. You define them by kingdom. So I want all of them. I want all of them. But if, if we got to start thinking like referees. Now, now I know if you try to have a political... How many of y'all you actually tried to have a political co- conversation with somebody? I, I was, my dad probably may, he may get upset with me a little about this, but I was sitting at dinner table one night with him and his sister, and they got into a political conversation. I was like, oh, my God, I'm getting out of here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's fun. It is fun. Y'all know how it is. But see, as Christians, we should honestly be able to sit down, have a conversation where it comes to our beliefs spiritually and and the values we should hold and act as a referee and say, what does the Scripture say? If we disagree on some minor points, we'll just set it aside. But on the major points, we need to know what we as Christians should, should value and we should be able to talk about these things. Amen. So, even though most of you already, I know how you're going to vote, let me give you some quick tips. I'll be out of here. Number one, you got to evaluate. You got to evaluate, look at the candidates through what we've talked about. What are their values? What do they think is very important? What's their culture? What's their attitude and their disposition? Do they even believe that there is a God? Do they even have an idea that there, there, there might even be a God? What's their culture? And ultimately, what's their agenda? See, we have a strong agenda to preach the gospel to all the world. And if I find a candidate that's, that is going to help us preach the gospel into all the world, I'm saying, all right, that, that guy needs to be strongly considered. Secondly, we've got to discern and pray. Listen, folks, wolves come in sheep clothing. If they think they can get a vote, they're going to say, I'm a Christian. You have to discern, you have to pray about what these people are and what their goal is. There are people right there, are prophetic voices in the world right now. Some of them are saying Donald Trump is the Cyrus of Isaiah 45 that's coming to bring about transformation. Some of them are saying he's the Antichrist. You need to pray. You need to discern, Lord, what is going on here. And sometimes you ain't even really going to know for sure, but you just got to make your best decision, your best option. Number three, you got to discuss it. I talk about people. I talk about politicians. I talk about, hey, man, what do you think about this guy? What's going on? What's he stand for? I discuss it with people just to know. And then fourthly, I decide. I make a decision. And most of you, maybe you've even made your decision on who you're going to vote for, but I believe it's important we cast a vote for people that with, with, with Christian values. And number five, we move on. At the end of the day, it's just a vote. You're warning 350 million people in this nation, and you move on and you say, you know what? It's all right. Whoever gets elected, God's still on the throne. Jesus Christ is still King of kings and Lord of lords, and we're going to move on. And so lastly, we look to the future. This is it. We look to the future. Because our coming kingdom is not a democracy and you won't have to vote anymore. 
Jesus is going to set up His throne very shortly, y'all. And we're looking to that time where you don't have to vote. He sits on His throne in Jerusalem and we rule and reign with Him for a thousand years and we see a kingdom that works and operates in perfect righteousness and holiness and purity. And every tear is wiped away. There's no more division because we all see the one true God. And that is what we are looking forward to as Christian people. And we are hastening the day by the lives that we live. Let me read these verses to you. Revelation 5, verse 11 through 13. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Thousands of thousands all over the world, there's one thing that unites us. And it's not a political party. It's Jesus Christ. And one day we're going to be together around that throne worshiping and praising Him forever. See, in the debates, they ask the candidates, what would you do? What you do? What have you done for our nation? What have you done for our nation? Well, they can argue, and they always say, no, you didn't, no, you didn't. But there's one thing we, did know, we do know that our King Jesus did for us. That is it, that He came and He died on the cross and He bled for you and His body was beaten for your sin. We have a King who has laid down His life so that we might have life. And so regardless of who you vote for, the main thing that matters is that when you stand before Jesus Christ, is He going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Or is He going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's the vote that matters. That's the vote that matters most is what did we do with what Jesus did for us? What did we do with what Jesus did for us? I want you to bow your heads just for a moment. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you. I've I've, I've, I've said a few words here, and we live in times where it's difficult to discern all of these things. But Holy Spirit, would you just help us to come out of the mud of the political spirit and here in Clay County especially, out of the religious spirit that divides us, that keeps us separated. Lord God, let us not focus on one another, God, because our enemy is not flesh and blood, but our enemy, we have a common enemy. We have the demonic spirits that are trying to lead us astray. And so, Lord, we come to you and we ask you to give us discernment. And Lord, right now, as one, we lift up prayer for our leaders for this election, God. We pray that as, as much as possible, Lord God, that you would sway things. And you, Lord, I even pray that people that are running for office, that they would have an encounter with you, Lord Jesus. That they'd be saved that you would begin to influence them according to your word, that you would open doors for them to receive the word of God, and that salvation would sweep across our nation, that we would see revival, that we would see transformation. And would you stir your church to begin to pray like never before, to believe that these things can happen in our generation, that we can see one last move of God before you return, Lord Jesus. But we magnify your name and we trust, Lord, that with all of these leaders, God, you can bring them into the truth and that they would come to the knowledge of the truth. And Lord, that they would influence our culture and our nation for good. Lord, we speak this, we believe that. And for every person right now, God, that just that doesn't know you, Jesus, that needs to know you, I pray you'd minister to their hearts this morning. You let them know that you're with them, that you've got good for them, that you want to bless them. God, that you want to love them. We speak peace to them right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we love you and we worship you. Won't you stand?